1: The solutions exist. You know, This is a problem that we know how to address. It's just mobilizing everything. So if I can help folks, if you can help folks take that next step to growing their passion projects, whether it's scaling one of our existing solutions or starting something brand new, I think that's just incredibly important. and I'm excited to, to be able to do that with, with more and more people.
0: What are some underlying causes that are driving environmental issues, seemingly no matter what industry we're talking about? What does it take for us to really reach the general public with our messages, beyond the niche of people who already care? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons and Buns, a community where people meet every day to trade things like clothing, houseplants, furniture, and art. You can check it out first by downloading the app Buns, spelled B-U-N-Z, on your smartphone, and I'll tell you more later. For now, to our conversation with Jay Siegel, who's the podcast host of Sustainability Defined, which you may have heard of. I'm an avid listener myself, so definitely check it out. And he's also the founder of Ground Up Impact, which is a business advisory firm for those seeking to advance their positive environmental and social impact. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word.
1: I gotta say, it all starts with growing up here in Denver, which, you know, I think sustainability and the appreciation of nature is almost in the water, So, you know, fortunate enough to go to the mountains year-round, both in the summer, the winter, take advantage of all they have to offer. But then at the same time, it kind of, for me, it was that the notice or like the observation that, you know, civilization just kind of kept creeping into nature. And that seemed like a real contrast to me and one that I think needed to – or one that I wanted to focus on in my career moving forward. So that was kind of the – the catalyst for that sustainability bug that I have been nurturing ever since.
0: Mm. And you talked about civilization creeping into nature. Do you feel like that alone always is a bad thing? So is civilization, does it always have a negative impact on nature or what does that look like?
1: Well, I think it's it's an interesting question because on one hand, the answer is an easy yes. Like, you know, of course, all of this sprawl, you know, continues to eat up these natural spaces that have all kinds of ramifications for biodiversity and and really just conservation as a whole. But at the same time, you know, humans ability to access nature was what really sparked my sustainability interest in the very first place. So that duality influenced my career orientation really to focus really on the cities and the development, almost get to know the the belly of the beast to understand, okay, why does civilization and why do cities grow this way? And how can we best orient that to complement nature as opposed to just, you know, eating it all up?
0: So you started Sustainability Defined in 2016, I believe, with your on-air partner, Scott. Can you give us a glimpse into your inspirations for this and what it took to make it happen?
1: Yeah. And I think it's one that a lot of our listeners certainly can relate to, which was I had this interest in sustainability. And no matter how hard I tried to get sustainability projects out my plate at work or, you know, look at other companies that might have openings in this area, I just couldn't do it. So I finally said, you know, this is something I have such a strong desire to do something in that I'm just going to create it myself. So there was that frustration. Plus, what I think was a pretty monumental talk i went to in dc at the time at the carnegie endowment for international peace and it was a talk on green finance and so i go i'm pretty excited to hear what kinds of trends are going on and how we can mobilize capital to pair well with sustainability and what i found was that and this is of course no slight towards all of our very educated guests that we've had on our show that i'm sure you've had on your show as well but the entire conversation struck me as just over educated folks talking to overeducated folks not only up on stage but also in the audience too mm. and I was sitting there thinking you know I consider myself to be a reasonably bright guy both in sustainability and in finance and if I can't understand what these folks are talking about while also knowing that as the climate continues to change these topics are only going to become more important then there's a real issue there and that we can't really mobilize our world on this unless it's communicated and packaged in an engaging and educational way. So that was kind of swirling in my head at the time. I've always had a love of public speaking and this is right as podcasts were starting to hit the mainstream. And then I had a chance encounter with Scott Breen, who is my co-host at Sustainability Defined. This is at a DC net impact happy hour and we just hit it off and continued conversations. I shared the idea with them. And then, you know, we both sat down and, and really developed the framework that we've been building on ever since.
0: And why did you guys feel like there was a need to create a podcast with a multitude of episodes, purely defining sustainability in terms of how this applies to different areas, like beyond what's stated in the dictionary, which is where people usually look to when searching for how something is defined?
1: You know, it's it starts with that realization that sustainability really covers everything. And that's one of the problems with the word sustainability is the ambiguity that comes with it. You know, we cite the Brundtland Commission's definition in one of our very first episodes, which is essentially preserving our current resources for the enjoyment of future generations, something along those lines. And that kind of makes sense, but it's also just so high level in that We saw there was a real need to communicate what that meant, not only just from a narrative perspective, but in economic and quantitative terms too. Because, truthfully, our entire economy is based on this natural system that we've been taking for granted for, you know, at least since the Industrial Revolution. And the idea that that needed to be explained in a way that could actually mobilize folks was one that really energized us. And then, truthfully, is the more episodes we produced, it almost opened up more and more episodes after that. I'm sure, you know, you as an esteemed podcast host are, are familiar with that. But once we started talking about topics that we had personal interests in or that our friends as we were starting this expressed interest in, it just opened up all these different avenues to explore. So, for example, within energy, you know, we this is a few months back now I wanted to do a new episode on energy we thought oh wind energy could be cool but then we had a contact at orsted which is one of the largest wind producers in the world especially over in the UK come out and and pause at the idea of an offshore wind energy episode and we thought wow that's even this really cool facet of wind energy that deserves its own entire focus simply because it could be such an important component of our overall sustainability agenda. So it's it's an ongoing source of inspiration that we've almost been surprised by. I don't think there's ever going to be a time when we can exhaust ourselves of the episodes that are out there to cover.
0: Well, the word sustainability I feel like has definitely been thrown a lot around. And sometimes it's co-opted or used as greenwashing where it then loses its real meaning. So what is one way in which you feel like the word has been used in a misguided or misinformed manner that detracts from the actual goal? And what is sustainability supposed to mean in these different areas?
1: One of the areas that I feel sustainability is misused. And there's probably going to be some disagreement out there. But for me, this relates back to the urban planning perspective, which was kind of drilling down into the root problems as opposed to what are called, you know, end of pipe solutions. And that is essentially car mileage and, you know, miles per gallon claims by different car companies. So for example, a car company can come to you and say, oh, we've been working on our sustainability, you know, our car, even if it gets something, you know, pretty significant, like 50% more miles per gallon, or this is a hybrid car. And you know, maybe it's the miles per gallon efficiency is even greater than that. That's all good. But what really moved me from the urban planning perspective is that, okay, it's not essentially the cars that are the main driver of the issues that I see as far as development goes in the natural world. That is the development patterns we use around them. So so long as we continue to place our primary mode of transportation that that emphasis on cars you know those marginal gains in efficiency are going to be kind of just outstripped by additional growth that emanates you know outward in in the form of sprawl so to get back to your point you you can call that sustainable however implementing those measures doesn't really change the big picture much and and that's what kind of drives me and and brings me back to the drive behind the podcast as well is that what are those root causes that really shape the way we live our lives. So then to answer your second question, which is you know, what is sustainability supposed to mean in different parts of society? For me, it is getting past the vernier. So it is past that label you see that says, oh, this household cleaner is made with biodegradable products, or this cardboard comes from recycled paper or post-consumer recycled paper. What's beneath that? Why are we ordering so many items off Amazon? Why do we feel the need to, you know, clean our homes with certain compounds that might be better in different ways? So for me, and and I think this is what we encourage our listeners to do on Sustainability Defined, is really understand these topics critically and understand where these negative impacts are coming from to best be able to address solutions to to fix them. Mm.
0: So in that transportation example that you mentioned, basically, it's not sustainable just because a car may be a little more fuel efficient. Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah. You know, I think when we talk about the scale of change that needs to happen in the amount of time we have, you know, having to fill up your car slightly less often using the same gas or or less gas
0: is not going to cut it. So basically, we need systemic and structural shift in the ways that we're doing things and not just improving things incrementally from what they are right now.
1: Yes, to meet these challenging objectives, absolutely. And and that is, again, the key challenge we take on at Sustainability Defined.
0: And do you have ideas on what truly sustainable transportation could look like in the future?
1: <laughs> what a great question. Going to grad school for urban planning, I was around so many transportation planners, so I'm sure they could provide a much more expert, nuanced answer to your question. But to me, the first answer is public transportation because public transportation is easy to deploy at scale. And because it's one unified system, hopefully that's under the jurisdiction of a single entity it gets a little bit hairy when you get to places like dc where the same system runs through dc maryland and virginia but having that single entity that can make those decisions that say you know we are going to run this public transit now on 100 percent clean energy by this year is crucial and so not only does that answer the transportation piece from the energy side but it also answers it from the land use side as well. So when you develop public transit networks, you see development start to cluster around them. So when folks aren't necessarily bound to cars to get from wherever they are, you know, point A to point B and can instead choose to locate closer to an existing piece of transit, you know, maybe I can walk to the light rail to go downtown as opposed to, you know, driving my car from like a really windy suburban road to get out, even just like a main road that influences the way the built environment is shaped and allows more people to live closer to those transportation networks to get where they want to go, possibly without the car. Hmm.
0: So on this note, do you think that urban sprawl is the antidote of having effective public transportation? Because with urban sprawl, people want to own their own piece of land, they want their own yard, a big house, but this would then ma- make it harder to implement Public transportation that is actually efficient in terms of the routes.
1: Oh yeah, and and I think you touch on some pretty complex topics, which truthfully society is still trying to wrestle with. Because on one hand, you know, my my first job out of grad school was very much market oriented, and we would come in, and I would actually say I would I would do some work for the types of developers that I actually kind of had a you know a, a negative feeling about, knowing that I was contributing to a lot of these what they called master plan developments, which are just massive developments of, you know, two, 300 homes out in what's called a greenfield or a previously undeveloped piece of land. What I learned in that job is that there's a market demand for this stuff. You know, people want to have their yards and they want to have, you know, possibly cars to have the freedom to, for example, in Denver, go to the mountains on the weekend. The challenge is that humanity and, and our global population has past a point where that is sustainable. You know, it's unfortunately unrealistic for everyone out there to have their five acre piece of land, you know, with a quaint, the American white picket fence, if you will. So the challenge comes in, how do we recognize our own impact on this environment and at least provide the market options for folks to choose those denser types of housing should they want to? Mm. I think you're seeing that come across in, generational preferences. I know, you know, as a, uh, hashtag millennial, you know, we are as a generation more inclined to move to those downtown areas where things are more walkable and accessible via public transit, maybe than other generations. I think crucially that might change as as our generation starts to have kids, you know, what does that mean? Do we still want to locate out to the suburbs as truthfully, a couple of my friends already have, but the, the, underlying goal is to at least have the market be able to provide those options so that it is it is not as, you know, single stream as, okay, if you want to own a home, your only option is, is a new piece of suburban sprawl, you know, 50 miles outside downtown.
0: I feel like it definitely is really important for us to look Beneath the facade of sustainability. So, kind of on a related note, the areas that you've explored, ranging from green aviation, big data, to supply chain emissions, you're illuminating a better way to do things across all different industries and sectors. And this also means that right now, across these different areas of modern society, we're doing things in ways that are causing environmental issues that need to be addressed. So, when you think about the root cause of what's driving these different issues, What do you see as the common denominator there? So, for example, you mentioned maybe like our societal values, what people see for themselves or value in their lives, or is it the way our economy is set up or is it political incentives? What's a common factor that's leading us to have destructive, extractive and consumptive mindsets, no matter what part of society we're talking about?
1: Sure. So I think my answer will touch on both that economic and kind of policy component, which is... The fact that so many of these impacts that we have on the environment are what are called negative externalities. And I'm sure many of your listeners are already familiar with that. But that means that we are not taking into account the a lot of times detrimental effects we have on nature in the way we've structured our entire economy. So, you know, you see that in things like the episodes that we've done that you mentioned. So, you know, green aviation and big data, for example. The negative externality that comes as a result of of using these services, you know, taking flights and searching on Google and, and taking advantage of their data centers is the carbon that's emitted in that process. And even, you know, further up the supply chain, you know, what waste is created as we're building these airplanes and data centers in the very first place. And because, you know, we as a consumer don't have to think about that, oftentimes we don't and so the most simple solution to that is one that's talked about all over the place that's the form of a carbon tax so that in the actual everyday you know almost every moment in the way we perceive things we take into account the carbon or essentially you know possibly other negative impacts that come along with all of our economic decisions so that means you know maybe there is a small tax on top of our next Amazon Prime orders that goes into you know the the environmental cost of production of not only that good but the box and the shipping it took to get there so it's it's a tough question it touches all kinds of things but you know you look at our economic system today it's very distinct and and of course much more advanced than than previous civilizations in the past i think it's gotten there as a result of being able to use natural resources a little bit more freely. But of course, we're now nearing the time where we're starting to feel the ramifications of that. It's about time to change.
0: Mm. So a lot of things may appear to be cheap at the surface, but they really just don't reflect the true cost of what it took to produce or manufacture or transport those goods.
1: Yeah, and it's it's honestly, it's tough as a consumer because for those of us that are, inclined to think about the environment and to think about sustainability, it comes as a burden because we see ourselves interacting with the economy in a certain way that's like, how how do I actually change this stuff? So it really has to come with a real paradigm shift in the way we buy and sell goods, which is, of course, a, a very tough challenge.
0: I feel like that's definitely really challenging because People are used to being able to buy cheap things. So when we're talking about needing to value or take into consideration the negative externalities and valuing human labor, valuing environmental resources more, that inevitably means that things can't be that cheap. But again, like affordability and people being used to things being cheap. And we hear a lot of people talk about how, oh, if this were cheaper, like I would totally support it. So, yeah, I don't know if you have any additional thoughts on that.
1: <laughs> that that's, I mean, it's, it's so present because what you want to avoid if, if you do want to move forward on this stuff is any kind of tax. It's called a regressive tax, which means it hits lower incomes more significantly than it does higher incomes. And so, what I like as a part of different strategies that have been proposed is basically, you know, we can call it a tax on carbon and if it's a certain percentage of your good say you know you're buying something for 5 bucks and that carbon tax is 10% so just 50 cents of course that 50 cents means more if you're making less money and value you know every cent a little bit more than someone who makes oodles of money and that 50 cents is is essentially meaningless what i like in some of the proposals that come out is that you know once that tax is collected It can then be redistributed to lower incomes to help offset that upfront sticker price. So that to me, I think is the most logical approach to this situation because, you know, I I agree. Otherwise, it's it's, you know, who wants to see their everyday purchases just get more expensive while receiving almost nothing in return? Of course, you can say, well, all right, I'm I'm happy to pay this dollar for the environment, but everyone might not feel the exact same way. So that's my favorite. I'm sure there are many others out there, but it it deserves to be talked about and, and hopefully implemented one day.
0: I think for those of us who are talking about these topics, we share a similar challenge in that. The people most likely to listen or most likely want to engage or want to seek this information out happen to be those who already care and want to take action. But when we're talking about the need to shift our societal values, really get to the root of our issues, and build the concept of sustainability into the DNA of everything we do, it requires either a systemic shift from the top, putting in the right incentives like you mentioned, or a shift in behavior from the masses. So what do you see as our biggest challenge in being able to reach the general public beyond the niche of people who already care?
1: Yeah, you touch on a really a pressing issue of our times, which is, you know, it goes back to the 2016 election. You know, we are able now to create our own online environments that can lead to their own echo chambers, which allow us to dig our heels in more deeply to our held beliefs and not open our mind to something more. So What we've tried to do with the podcast is approaching that from a more easily accessible way. And we do that through our humor or our notably bad humor. So our hope is that by taking down the barriers to some of these topics, we're able to engage more folks. So for example, one of my favorite episodes is on green burial and you know, not only was Elizabeth Fournier, the the guest who we spoke with, just extremely engaging, but it's a challenge that everyone, you know, the idea of burial and death is something that literally everyone has to come to terms with at some point in time. So, you know, what I saw in this green burial episode is a very topical issue that everyone has some kind of connection with. And now, of course, we're just approaching it from a sustainability lens. So we're laying out all of the environmental and economic frameworks for the burial industry, the cremation industry, and then all of these emerging, more sustainable options to take as far as end of life goes. I'll, I'll refer listeners to episode 36 if they'd like to hear more. They're, they're pretty fascinating. But it, it's a way to, again, just ease people's tensions a little bit so that we can actually have some discourse about this stuff because it's, you know, as, as everyone's aware progress is difficult without large-scale buy-in so our goal is to just remove those obstacles as much as possible to create the dialogue that you know you're doing too to start the folks talking get them engaged and then move forward from there
0: yeah and what you mentioned regarding the social media piece and polarization I feel like it's really interesting because I feel like social media has democratized information and empowered people, no matter their backgrounds they don't need to have an established uh corporate media company behind them but anybody can have a voice and can build upon their voice so it really has democratized information but the negative is that people are allowed to follow whoever they want to follow so you talked about how you know people can follow only the stories or only the outlets that speak their language and shed light on world issues using the perspective that they want to see the world through. So how do you think we can work with that? Because I feel like that definitely is really challenging these echo chambers that maybe make people more stuck in their beliefs, so to say, when we really need people to open up and engage with one another at this point.
1: That that's such a tough question. And and as you were describing that, I'm finding myself thinking, "Oh my god, I I've been doing this subconsciously myself." For example, I don't know if, if, you watch game of Thrones, your listeners might, but just as a quick aside, I was a little bit less than pleased with the way it ended. And I suddenly found myself reading all these articles online that agreed with me. And so like, well, I'm, of course I'm right. And only so often did I come across, well, okay, of course the audience is divided, which means there's a whole other component that thought it was awesome. And truthfully, it is such a complex problem because we as a society are dealing with technology that we have never before seen. So it's kind of like we're learning to, to run right from the beginning, not even sure if we can walk with it yet. So you know, it is it is a constant learning process. And for me, the short answer, Kamea, is just that realization that these echo chambers exist. I think the 2016 election did a phenomenal job of that just opening up you know i remember seeing different web pages with two different facebook news feeds side by side and you know one leans left one leans right and it was remarkable the difference and and the realization that that exists comes first you know the internet social media as you mentioned has given for example both you and i the ability to do what we do which is take our passions put it up on the internet and, and engage folks anywhere in the world on the issue which is absolutely amazing The downside of that is that, of course, as you mentioned, you can listen to who you want, and sometimes that creates these artificial tribes almost that seem that they're at odds with each other. I know Bernie Sanders recently went on Fox News. They had a a debate there, and I think one of his closing messages is one that I, I really enjoyed, which is, you know, we are not nearly as divided as we are portrayed to be, or we might think we are. So Knowing that and knowing that it is possible now for this invisible force in the form of the internet to arbitrarily separate us might not be as true day to day. We're walking around just grabbing coffee somewhere and just talking to folks on the street. So that realization is first. I think the the next question of how to really deal with that is, is extremely difficult. I, I know folks in Congress and at the helms of these major tech companies haven't figured it out either. But for me, it's just that understanding, that recognition that this is what is happening. But then the ability just to remember how to communicate with people on a human-to-human basis is probably the best place to
0: start. And the last thing I want to touch on is your latest project called Ground Up Impact. So what is this all about and what made you feel like there was a need for this?
1: Yeah. So Kamina, thanks for asking about that. That has been a really cool outgrowth of Sustainability Defined, which was we had folks coming to us with their own business ideas and not necessarily sure how to get them off the ground. So what I've been able to do as as that has gone on is take some skills that I had previously in my career and, and hopefully still do in the form of financial analysis and projections to be able to help folks take their ideas and understand the revenues and costs associated with them. Because of course, as we talked about earlier, we exist or we operate in an economy where it's pretty necessary to draw a profit in whatever business endeavor you do. And so the hope with Ground Up Impact, which we say provides business and financial advisory services for impact-oriented groups, is to help these ventures understand the the paybacks essentially of what they're dreaming to make sure it, it makes sense. And if it does make sense, we help them progress. So it's been a really fun way to meet entrepreneurs with all kinds of different ideas from cold brew coffee startups in London to much more kind of at home, I think gift box ideas that we're working on, on scaling sustainably. So it's been a really fun project and and really it's a great way to, you know, you, you know as a podcaster we do a lot of talking but it's really nice to be able to help folks that that come to ground up and and understand how to build a very tangible project you know from the very beginning
0: So you're focusing specifically on helping to green the business sector, supporting companies, startups, or professionals wanting to make a difference with their work. I remember when I graduated from university, all of the highest paying, most prestigious jobs were at huge corporations like General Mills, Nestle, P&G, and Amazon. So naturally, I feel like some of our smartest people and greatest talent in the country are attracted to work at these places and further support their growth that's enabled by extractive practices. And especially if personal financial security is a top priority, which for a lot of people it is. Coming out of college, I feel like that's just a natural uh, way of how things play out in our world today. But with this in mind, and also keeping in mind the power and influence that existing large corporations have in all different fields, how do you think individuals or startups can thrive in today's landscape if they wanna actually make a meaningful difference with their work?
1: That is such a good question. And I can tell you are just a, a great podcast host because you're, you get to the root so quickly. So the answer is that in an ideal world, money wouldn't matter. And we could just focus on the projects that we knew would have the most positive social environmental impact and not have to worry about anything else. Of course, that is only the case for the smallest subset of our population. And that for many other folks, myself included, you know, coming out of university, uh, just making sure you're able to sustain yourself is everyone's top priority. And truthfully, when I work with entrepreneurs that are either, you know, from these larger companies or that have already, you know, jumped into their idea full steam ahead, the idea is that, again, we live in an economy that is extractive and and does not take into account the environmental impacts we have on it. However, if you're able to sustain yourself, this is what I was doing as the podcast started with a job that might not be having the impact you want. And- really sit yourself down in front of the mirror and say, I'm going to dedicate my free time to exploring this opportunity or this venture or this idea I have, because that's what makes a real difference in my character. It's what I want to do. Then that's what you got to do. So look, everyone wants the, you know, chief sustainability officer at the companies you mentioned, whether that's Nestle, Amazon, you know, increasingly kind of the the tech sexy companies, but that is, Unlikely, unfortunately, for a lot of us. So, what's been cool and what I enjoy doing at ground up is helping folks take what could be passion projects, much as the podcast did, and find a way to scale that and hopefully turn that into their full time thing. That's not to say that you know some of our clients couldn't come from these existing organizations trying to figure out how do we push the needle on this internally, but it, it just goes back to everyone's willingness to dedicate a certain amount of time and energy out of their day to pursue this stuff with the hope that it could catch on and grow. It's something that, that needs to be done. Of course we don't have much time to do it. So the, the motivation is there I think. And the ideas are too, you know, we hear so much from experts in the field and especially from Paul Hawken of of project drawdown who we spoke with not too long ago, the, the solutions exist. You know, this is a problem that we know how to address. It's just mobilizing everything. So if, I can help folks. If you can help folks take that next step to growing their passion projects, whether it's scaling one of our existing solutions or starting something brand new, I think that's just incredibly important. And I'm excited to to be able to do that with, with more and more people.
0: Have you downloaded the Buns app yet that I've been telling you about? Besides the fact that we can meet like-minded people near us and trade things like clothing, art, furniture, or plants through the app, we can also earn its currency called Bits. So if someone wants an item that you've posted but you don't want anything they have so you can't trade, you can also accept Bits coins instead. There are also daily short surveys that you can take from within the app that will also allow you to earn Bits. With this currency, you can then go on to purchase things that you want from other people or you can spend it at an increasing number of real life local partnering businesses. So the more people we have on this free app, the more powerful we'll be in establishing communities of trade and also in getting more local businesses to accept our bids coins. To check it out and join the fun, just search for Buns in the App Store and hit download. And here's a pro tip. Share Buns with your friends through the app, and for every friend that signs up, they'll earn 100 bits, and you'll also earn 100 bits as well. See you there soon, and for now, to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow?
1: I love Grist. We have an upcoming episode with their CEO, and they take a very refreshing and positive look on climate, highlighting the good stuff and keeping folks like you and I feeling good about the progress we're making.
0: What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired?
1: That I would be unhappy devoting my life to anything other than sustainability.
0: What's one thing you're working on right now for your health?
1: I am trying to get back into a decent gym routine. I've been traveling a lot, and so kind of getting back into eating clean and, and hitting the gym is, has been nice.
0: What's one thing you're working on right now to live more sustainably?
1: Th- that's a great question. I just moved into a new apartment and I see cardboard everywhere, not only of the stuff that I'm moving to recycling, but others. Um, I am making an effort to buy less online because the the cardboard piles in this apartment building pile up like crazy. <laughs> so at least just eliminating that cardboard interface is is top of mind for me.
0: What makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment?
1: The younger generation that just gets this on a, on such a fundamental level that I, I think we are growing to the critical mass we need to truly make a large-scale change.
0: Well, thank you so much for this deeply insightful and thought-provoking conversation. We would, of course, love to keep following your work. So where can we find you online and support your work?
1: Sure. So folks can go to sustainabilitydefined.com. To learn more about the podcast and listen to all of our episodes. And then if any of your listeners have ideas on their own impact-oriented projects they'd like to get off the ground, they can visit groundupimpact.com to learn more about the ways I might be able to help them there too.
0: Finally, what final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers?
1: You have to stay positive because the alternative not only just <laughs> sucks more on a, daily, on a daily basis, but we just have to be. So I would say keep pushing that positivity because it's it's what keeps optimistic folks in a challenging field going every day.
0: Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. To access my weekly takeaways and suggested action steps deduced from each episode, you can join me on Patreon at greendreamer.com support. Green Dreamer is an independent multimedia platform and I'd like to keep it this way. So I just wanted to thank you sincerely to our patrons. Every little bit helps and I do really appreciate it. I spent a lot of time researching and putting together the podcast and now Green Dreamer's YouTube videos at greendreamer.com YouTube. And I'm really dedicated to continue doing this work. So if you find this valuable and want to help amplify the voices of all of our past guests, especially in a world where corporate media, influenced by the industry, industries that back them have the loudest voice and influence you can become a patron of green dreamer starting at one dollar per month by going to greendreamer.com support thank you as well if you've gotten to share green dreamer with friends or uh, write a review of what you're enjoying in the podcast app finally as we're wrapping up just remember now more than ever our planet needs your light to thrive so if you haven't yet hit subscribe and i will catch you later green dreamer